Welcome to Mind Love, episode 316. Today's episode is all about liberating your mind, body, and spirit. How giving up alcohol unbottles your true potential. And I know that if you're someone who's like on that cusp right now, like you and I were for a long time, that some of these phrases can sound like platitudes or like, oh, way to go, Pollyanna. Like, good, great to have on your rose colored glasses. But the thing is, I was a pessimist. I was a victim. I was not the joyful and positive focused person that I am today when I was drinking alcohol. And when I stopped, something shifted to where things that used to bother me no longer frustrate me or upset me. And things that I used to think about and worry about no longer grind my gears. And that's a really powerful place to be. So to be in this place where I was very negative, I had one specific outlook and now to feel a different way, I don't want to unfeel that. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Have you ever wondered who you might be without the crutch or the pull of alcohol? It's a question that might make you squirm a little, but it's worth sitting with. What if that glass of wine or that bottle of beer is actually bottling up your true potential? I never considered myself an alcoholic. Although, if you had made a montage of nights in my 20s, you might think I was. But over the years, I had fine-tuned my relationship with alcohol to the point where it felt like I had it all under control. But then I started to wonder, was it really worth all of that mental gymnastics? Deciding which nights to drink, how many drinks to have, even comparing my pace with other people at a social gathering. It was like this endless loop of questions and calculations. Well, my breaking point was the day before my firstborn turned six months old. As I poured myself a glass of wine to sip while cooking dinner, a ritual I considered self-care somehow, I looked over and I saw my son watching me intently. And that's when it hit me. I was setting his normal. I was shaping his perception of what's acceptable and what's not. That's a heavy responsibility, to say the least. So I made a choice. That glass of wine would be my last, at least for a while. I committed to 30 days alcohol-free, sometimes telling people it would be a year or 90 days, really just depending on how strong or vulnerable I felt in that moment. I knew I wanted to go at least a year without alcohol, but I didn't want anyone to talk me out of it. I also didn't want to fail publicly. Well, eventually, something crazy happened. When I reached that one-year mark, the idea of picking up a drink felt crazy. I'd gotten so used to feeling good, so in tune with my body and mind, that the question of whether to drink or not shifted from being about the present moment to being about my future self. I know what it feels like to wake up with no alcohol in my system, 
and it's too good. By the year and a half mark, I stopped even really feeling tempted at all. I don't have to talk myself out of anything anymore. At this point, my thought process really is, why would I want to ingest any amount of poison, ever? Especially considering the process I go through just to find a non-toxic face wash I approve of. So consuming 8 ounces of ethanol? Not gonna happen. And you might be thinking, well, that's great for you, but this is how I unwind and enjoy life, and my social activities are centered around it, so it's not really that feasible. But here's the thing. If you had told my 28-year-old self, or even my 30-year-old self, that I would be totally alcohol-free within a decade, I probably would have thought you had the wrong girl. If it's possible for me, it's possible for literally anyone. But don't take my word for it. Just allow the question to simmer for a while. If it's a path for you, stay open to the idea. You'll probably know when you're ready. You might need to give yourself a little push. But until then, just listen to our conversation and see if anything resonates. And I don't mean to sound judgy by my alcohol is poison comment. (laughs) I'm just trying to illustrate to you just how much my mindset around it has changed. I loved wine for years. And now it just doesn't have the hold on me that it used to. And to me, that feels like freedom. Freedom I didn't even really realize I needed or wanted. So our guest today is Amanda Kuda. She can attest to the fact that you don't need to have a drinking problem for alcohol to be holding you back. Like a lot of successful young professionals, her life was basically a carousel of opportunities to drink that ended up leaving her feeling unfulfilled in her spirit, her relationships, her career. She didn't hit rock bottom or need a recovery program, but she did need a change. It was only when she tried dry January that she realized sobriety was the linchpin to a better life. In a culture that treats alcohol as a cure-all to subdue anxiety, grieve, celebrate, she found that cutting it out helped her reach her true potential. Now she's an alcohol-free lifestyle expert and coach helping ambitious, soul-centered women stop drinking and start manifesting the life they desire and deserve. Her first book, Unbottled Potential, Break Up With Alcohol and Break Through to Your Best Life, hits shelves today, October 3rd, 2023. We'll be talking about how to align actions and decisions with personal values and desires. So three key things we will learn are the connection between alcohol and identity, the real myths of moderation, and how removing ineffective things from our lives can create space for positive growth. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Amanda Kuda to the show. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. I'm excited to chat today. I know I was reading through your book and I feel like we're the same person from everything from all of your experiences of giving up alcohol to 
being a student of A Course in Miracles, all the things. I'm like, well, we can just hang out. <laughs> I love that. We're kindred spirits. Good. I love, you know, I'm on this podcast for right now for my book and I'm either having one of two experiences. We're kindred spirits or the person wants to give up alcohol. And by the end, they, they're like, okay, I'm in, I'm doing this challenge that we're like making up on the spot. So it's been a really cool experience either to meet a new soul sister or meet a new person who like I'm changing their life as we're, as we're having a conversation. It's funny when I was considering giving up alcohol, I had all of those social stigma things in my head mm-hmm. where I'm like, well, who's going to hang out with me? <laughs> like, yeah. am I going to just be the bummer of the party or are people going to be like chatting about me behind my back? And then once I actually did confidently, it's like everyone had this secret desire to also give it up, whether or not they're willing to ever take action on that. Those are my side convos with people. So how did you do it? What's it like? Oh my gosh, I, I feel like I need to have been questioning my relationship, all the things. And I'm like, just go for it. Some of those people had those convos with me two years ago and they, they're they still kind of giving me the side eye. <laughs> everyone in their own time though, because you know, I think it's a really unique space where you make the conscious decision to give up alcohol outside of any like rock bottom or need to transform. It's just this desire within you and everyone's desire grows at a different rate. But the really cool thing about going first is that you get to be the permission slip giver. And though there are some like really scary things about going alcohol free when everyone else around you is drinking, it also like puts you kind of in this leadership position where you get to inspire others. If that's something you're game for. For sure. And for me, it was interesting because when I look back at my whole history with alcohol, there were definitely periods of my life where I was a problem drinker. Like mm-hmm. I had gotten injured. I had been way too wasted, all the things. But I had steadily made progress, the whole moderation game, the whole like just drinking less, not wanting to be hung over. So by the time I gave it up, I wasn't getting drunk anymore at all. Mm-hmm. And that only made it more difficult to make the decision because I didn't have a problem. But that Mm -hmm. was, or at least I no longer had a problem, but it still just felt like this anchor, like I was thinking about it a lot. And I love that you make the point that you don't need to have a problem with alcohol to quit drinking. So tell Mm -hmm. us about your story. Yeah, thank you for asking that. And thank you for highlighting that point because- you know, I know that when someone starts to listen to a podcast about alcohol, going alcohol free or being sober, there might be this initial reaction of, oh, wait a second, that's not for me. But really, if you are someone who has big dreams and desires, you want a deeper spiritual connection, you want a better life, you want to feel more fulfilled um, and want to have closer relationships and connections, this could be a game changer that is simple, but not easy. And let me be very clear that that is not how I looked at it. Originally, I I also, you know, I had my kind of rite of passage party girl days that were probably problematic drinking, but it was so expected and acceptable for someone that age to be really going out and tying one on and partying. And then kind of like you, I got to like my late twenties, early thirties, and I, I really cut back on drinking, but there was just something still that told me this wasn't the path for me. And yet, because I didn't tick the boxes of a problem drinker. I didn't tick the boxes of alcoholism. I didn't tick the boxes of rock bottom. I kept kind of backpedaling and being like, well, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't have to quit drinking. And I didn't, I didn't have to. I just, at some point decided I 
Well, I also didn't really want to either. Let's be clear, but I desired to. So I think there's a difference between want and desire and need. And I had this desire in my heart that there was something missing in my life. And no matter what I added to my life, that it wasn't going to be complete if I kept this, this, this behavior that was kind of dragging me down. So to kind of go back um, and tell a little bit of my story, I don't have anything exceptional in my relationship with alcohol. Um, alcoholism does run in my family. So that could have definitely been a fate of mine um, had I kept down the path, but I was a normal average run of the mill party girl drinker. I started drinking in my late teens as a way to fit in because I was kind of that awkward, um, you know, girl who hadn't come into her own also very, um, drawn to like, I was always a witchy kid and always remember feeling quite different from everyone else. And I was drawn to these other ways of thinking. And I could tell that I didn't quite perceive and see and experience the world in the same way that some of the kids in my very small farm town did. And so I, you know, found a way to fit in through alcohol that kind of quieted the voice of anxiety in my head and also kind of gave me the the permission to go out and go into some of these parties where I didn't feel like I fit in necessarily. And, you know, when we wire our brain to believe that at such a young and vulnerable age, we really take that as the truth. So through my twenties and early thirties, I believed I needed alcohol to be fun, to be cool, to be sexy, to be outgoing. And there was a part of me that was very terrified to go back, take away this behavior, take away this outlet, because I didn't know who I would be without alcohol in the picture. And yet I sensed that it was holding, I started to sense in my, you know, kind of during my early thirties, I started down this kind of more spiritual awakening path. And I started to sense that alcohol was keeping me from truly, truly experiencing the benefits of all of these things that I had brought into my life, meditation, journaling, um, breath work, uh, you know, going to workshops and doing yoga and all of these beautiful practices that just didn't quite feel like they were sinking in. And finally, I just kind of threw up my hands and decided, okay, I'm going to test the waters. I'm going to take a break from alcohol. And seven years later, I haven't had a drink since, and this is my career now. So kind of a wild path to get here. I love the question. You didn't know who you'd be without alcohol. And it's funny because in the beginning of that question for me, it was a little bit of fear. But what really pushed me was that same question. Mm -hmm. Who could I be without alcohol? Like what's really waiting for me there? What's the potential that Mm -hmm. I'm holding myself back from? And so it's like I had to have that question and I had to sit with it long enough for it to do its own evolution before I could step into that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it goes from like, who will I be? Like this fearful question to this more powerful, like, who could I be? And there's, you know, everyone gets, if if you're someone who's sober curious, you'll get to that on, at your own time. But I, yeah, I felt really afraid of what that would look like. And Um, you know, there's this moment that I share that I write about where I had this really transformational experience, you know, as someone who was reading all of the spiritual texts, A Course in Miracles and everything, which let me tell you, looking at how long it took me to get through that book, because I started reading it as a drinker, 
holy moly, that it just was not, that is a dense book to get through. It was not sinking in. Um, but I was really trying to step into these spiritual practices. And one day I was in the shower. I had already started, stopped drinking at this point, but I didn't know for how long and what the purpose was. And I heard this intuitive message come through and it said, Amanda, I see you doing big things in this world, but I can't see you doing them with alcohol in the picture. And I mean, Melissa, I felt like I'd been punched in the gut. It was the truest thing I ever heard. And it was just myself saying it. It was my own sense of intuition. And I had no idea what that quote, bigger things, big things was, but I believed it so intently that I'm like, I have to keep going down this path because that felt so true that if I don't pursue it, that I'm going to wonder my entire life, what I missed out on by, by going back to this behavior that is drinking culture. Yeah. I also was really affected by the wine culture propaganda. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it, just letting that go, I'm like, I can't let go of alcohol because then I have to let go of the memes too. How am I going to do that? <laughs> but it started to hit differently when I became a mom. Because mm-hmm. at first, I remember one of my friends actually told me, she said, uh, like, something about how her husband said, she, like, how are you a bottle deep at five o'clock when I'm coming home, like being concerned? And it's like, you be home alone with two twins all day. And I used that as permission for like a month. And it was interesting too, because being pregnant with my first was the longest I had gone without alcohol for a long time. And mm-hmm. to be clear, I I did have a glass of wine here and there. You know, I read expecting better about why it's not horrible to have a glass of wine, looking for all the excuses. Of course, didn't ever drink more than this book gave me permission to drink. Right. But by the time I had my son, I had just given birth. I was back home and my mom handed me like a bottle of champagne. She's like, we could celebrate. I guess that's a thing people do. And I remember for the first time actually not wanting it. And I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. wow, that abstinence, as much as I did it, changed my relationship with alcohol. This is great. But then I was at home and I was taking long walks with my son and then somebody had left some hard ciders over and then I started having like a half of a hard cider a day and I'm like so cool I don't want more than this but then before I knew it I was finishing the hard cider and I would want another one and then I was like expecting to have a glass of wine at dinner and I was like wow that came back really quickly (laughs) Uh there was no uh reset there whatsoever and so it was when my son turned six months though some I don't know why, but his six-month birthday, I was just like, okay, I'm going to not drink anymore. And I was telling people it was a challenge, but there was a big part of me that was like, is this the initiation for me of finally not drinking? But I didn't want to express that because I didn't want to fail publicly. So mm. I had like my own internal goal and I had my external goal. And then I just kept extending it, similar to yeah. your story. Uh-huh. But the big motivation, my big why underneath all of that was that I know that my regular habits are going to set the default for my child. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't just about me anymore. And I think that's what I needed where I was like, all right, I don't want him to see mommy and daddy having a beer and wine at five o'clock every day. I don't want that to be his normal. If he does that on his own, sure. But at least he's starting from his clean slate, not like this deep groove that I've been digging out my whole life. Totally. And I think it is a rite of passage. I'm not like a tell your kids not to drink because I think the abstinence conversation in any 
child to adult rite of passage can be kind of like, oh, kind of dangerous because it's, you know, lacks information. But the thing that I, I'm finding really interesting and disturbing is seeing, you know, on like, like TikTok or Instagram, I'll see these videos that people are capturing of their kids. Like they're really upset and their kid brings them, you know, not a cocktail, not like a mixed cocktail, but their wine or their glass or whatever they keep their mommy juice in. And I'm like, wow, look at the, like the message you're sending to your kid. Like that is getting into their little brain and they're understanding that in a way that you can't even possibly perceive. And I think it's something that we, we overlook how much those, those things trickle down to our kids, even if they're not physically drinking, they're mentally receiving messages about it. And that's one of the things you talk about in your book is really understanding your subconscious relationship to alcohol. And -hmm. as you said, a lot of people don't even get that they may have had messages from when they were a toddler watching mommy drink. And Mm -hmm. the interesting thing is, is I've seen the culture shift quite a bit. Like my mom has her own like retired women's drinking multiple nights a week club. They literally uh-huh. live in a in a community that's called a social club. And there's like there's stuff going on every night. It's for retirees. And but I actually am thankful. I didn't my stepdad's Italian. He drank wine and whatever, but it wasn't a nightly thing at our house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's changed a lot over the years. Like for mm-hmm. most drinkers, it seems to be a nightly thing. Like maybe it's the rise of social media, but maybe it's all those memes, mm-hmm. <laughs> but people are really embracing their relationship with alcohol and then, and, th- and adding this humor factor to it that I feel like has really increased the usage of it for most families. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I would love to see the statistics over time, but the, the thing is people lie about it and they forget about how much they're drinking as well, or they misrepresent it to like make themselves feel better. And the reality is that I think that for both better and worse, the messages have become more available, right? So we're seeing these, you know, women portray this like glamorous life. You know, I think, um, Molly Sims, the model, unfortunately is like one of the worst of doing mommy wine culture memes and cute TikToks and really glamorizing the alcohol culture. And then we have other people who are showing the other side that you don't have to drink alcohol to survive motherhood or life in general. And I, I think that it's a really unique time where we get to choose which messages we're going to accept, except both of them can be very, um, very seductive, you know, the, especially the ones about, needing wine, deserving a cocktail or whatever it might be to escape your reality or to have fun or, um, for whatever reason you've, you've received that message. I think that, yeah, you're, I, I would probably agree that a lot of people have gotten into these more nightly habits because it looks like a lot of other people are doing it and and they are. I also find it interesting that some of the people that I know that do make the jokes online, just personal friends, not anybody notable, I mean, notable to me, (laughs) but but you know what I mean? Right. And so they'll be posting kind of funny wine things, but they're also the people that have confided in me that they're reconsidering the relationship with it. And so it's just like anything with social media. It's like your highlight alcohol reel versus questioning, because if you are close enough to it that you're celebrating it publicly online, you're probably also, or you might also be questioning it in the dark corners of your uh-huh. life, you know? And one of the things that you talk about, uh, and a lot of those people are are on the moderation track. 
But tell me about the myths of moderation. Mm, This is something I really love to talk about because we, especially those of us who are kind of trying to switch from point A to point B of being a heavier drinker to wanting to moderate, we make moderation this holy grail. Like it's the end all be all. If we can just become a light, social, casual, every now and again, take it or leave it type drinker, then that's, that's what we want. And that's what, that's what I certainly wanted for when I first started exploring my relationship with alcohol. And let me tell you what I was the, I had the alcohol memes and the, the wine t-shirt or whatever else. Hell, I had a a dog that was named Martini. That's like (laughs) what my, that is how Um, that is how like much I really value that part of my persona. And, um, I, when I started wanting to change that relationship, my number one go-to was if I can just get to moderation, but the thing is alcohol, even if you're not addicted, it is a habit forming substance that by nature is not meant to be moderated. You know, we are fed these lies are fed these uh, pleasantries of drink responsibly from alcohol companies, but that doesn't help them. It doesn't help the alcohol company one bit if we moderate our drinking. And so having this lifestyle where we're hoping that we can moderate a substance that is habit forming is really, really, um, hopeful because once you have one, just kind of like you were experiencing with the hard cider, once you have a half of one, then you're like, Oh, might as well have the, the second half of it. And then your brain starts to function differently. So it's no longer about willpower because your willpower has been depleted. And if, by the way, we're relying on willpower, you've already, your willpower is something you're using up throughout the rest of the day. You're using it up when your kid starts to scream and you don't have a breakdown as well. And you keep your patience. You're using it up when that asshole honks at you in traffic and you don't flip him the bird. Like this is the way that we, you know, willpower is a limited resource. And if you get to the end of the day, hoping that willpower will still work. And then you put a substance in your body that is made to deplete your willpower. Moderation is just kind of this thing that we're, we're hopeful for, but we're probably going to end up disappointed, especially if we aren't innately someone who moderates. And the thing that you were saying earlier that I think is really important that I would want to draw back to is that um, this concept that I share that was from, um, a podcaster and an author named Gretchen Rubin. And she says that there's two types of people, people who naturally are moderators and people who are naturally are abstainers and moderators just naturally moderate. It's not something they really have to try for. And they do better if they get to choose. Whereas for me, um, I am an abstainer and I don't do better if I get to choose, because if I get to choose, I'll always choose more, more is more for me. And that come, that is whether you're talking sandwiches or cookies or whatever. It is just like, once I get started, I, I want more. And so moderation was really, really difficult for me because that wasn't my native come from. Whereas as an abstainer, I'm an all or nothing person. So if I decide nothing and I really commit to that, all of a sudden I have all of this mental space freed up and it's not even a question. So when I decided to abstain from alcohol it actually became really easy. It was no longer trying to fight this losing battle of how much will I drink and when, how will I moderate? What kind of tips track, like tactics and tricks can I use? And what will I do? How will I soothe myself if that doesn't work out? How will I forgive myself if I kind of screw up there? And when I decided to abstain, all of those questions were gone. And all of a sudden I had this free space and it just wasn't a question. We weren't drinking and that was that. And it felt really easy. And so I wonder if you like kind of have a similar, um, constitution where 
once you just decided no, it just took a lot of the pressure off. Do you love story-driven podcasts? I do, and there's a brand new one that I think you're going to love. It's called You Probably Think the Story's About You. The story just grabs you from the start. It all starts with Brittany, who thinks she's found her soulmate, only to find out things aren't as they seem. So she goes on a mission to find out the truth. And as she digs deeper, she realizes the guy's a master of deception. But here's the thing. As Brittany unravels his lies, she ends up on this journey of self-discovery. She starts to see how her own complicated past with addiction, sisterhood, and deep family bonds all have shaped her. And that's when it hits you. This story isn't really about him at all. It's about Brittany finding herself and learning who she really is. Trust me, you'll be hooked from episode one, wondering where Brittany's path will lead her next. It's a story that'll make you look at your own life and relationships in a whole new way. Seriously, grab your headphones and start from episode one of You Probably Think This Story's About You. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll come out feeling heard and stronger. Listen and follow You Probably Think This Story's About You wherever you listen to podcasts. You know I'm all about aligning in every aspect of life, right? Well, that philosophy extends to hiring, too. When it comes to finding the perfect fit for your business, sometimes the best approach is to stop the endless searching and start focusing on alignment. And that's where Indeed comes in. Indeed is like the matchmaker of the hiring world. With millions of job seekers visiting their platform every month, their powerful matching engine is designed to connect you with candidates who truly align with your needs and values. But here's the thing. Indeed isn't just about finding any old match. They're committed to delivering quality. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed provides the highest caliber of candidates compared to other job sites. And that's the kind of alignment I'm talking about. As a busy mom juggling episodes, clients, retreat planning, family life, I just don't have time to waste on a drawn out hiring process. And that's why I love Indeed because it streamlines everything from scheduling interviews to screening applicants and messaging potential hires all in one central hub. And the more you use Indeed, the smarter it gets. It learns from your preferences. With over 3.5 million businesses worldwide trusting Indeed to align them with top-notch talent, it's pretty clear that this platform is the real deal. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support my show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I wonder if you like kind of have a similar um, constitution where once you just decided, no, it just took a lot of the pressure off. Yes. A hundred percent. I had tried all of the moderation techniques. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, only drinking on weekends, only drinking one weekend a uh-huh. night, uh, making sure I only drink one day a week, like trying yes. all the patterns of it. Well, uh-huh. well, there's this thing on Tuesday. So it'll just be one day a week or I'll have water in between every single drink or I'll make sure that I'm only drinking on a, a, a full stomach and mm-hmm. no more than two glasses. And there was something that rang in my mind. One of my good friends is she, uh, her name is Bridget Fetissey, and she has her own following over there. And <laughs> But she stopped drinking completely. And I remember thinking she was nuts. My friend and I <laughs> that were good friends with her, 
we actually had those conversations. Well, guess we're not seeing Bridget anymore. But then she was like this secret idol in my head. Like, how uh-huh. did you do that? <laughs> and so I remember one time having a bad experience with alcohol. I was in New York. We had moved there for a couple of months. And I went to this event by myself. My husband was at home. I swear I only had one drink and I must have actually been drugged. I had to have been. And I got a drink from somebody else, but I woke up in the hospital. And I guess I was like wandering the streets and I was like, I got there late. I know I only had one. Like I could, I had a high tolerance. I would remember Mm -hmm. if I was having a lot of drinks and woke up in the hospital and, and he knew my habits of drinking. Like I was a heavy drinker. I wasn't used to getting blackout, but it wasn't impossible either. Mm -hmm. And so I was so bothered that he was kind of giving me the, well, I don't know about that. And and I'm like, no, I swear. (laughs) I'm like, but wait, I can't even speak my truth. Like there's the lines were so blurred there. And I <sighs> call she was the one who I, I called and I wanted to talk to. Didn't want to talk to the people that wanted to make me feel better about alcohol. Mind uh-huh. you, I did not quit drinking until years after that. Yeah. But that was when I really started just making shifts, not drinking random drinks people give me, <laughs> all of mm-hmm. the things. But yeah, so back to that moderation aspect when I finally just said, okay, no, I'm not gonna lie and say it was the easiest thing. It was easier than having to make a new decision every single day, Mm -hmm. but I still had plenty of lust for alcohol, Mm -hmm. being at things, kind of just watching, almost even making these little mini choices in my head. Like I could have a drink on this plane and no one would know. But Uh then I remember actually having a moment of, of like making a decision that I was going to order a drink on a plane and then realizing I'm not doing this for anybody other than myself. Why would I secretly have a drink? <laughs> like This yeah. makes no sense. And so I talked myself out of it, but I did that probably 25 different times was have like this little idea. Okay, tomorrow I'm going to go get mulled wine at that cute little wine shop. <laughs> and then the next day comes and I'm like, maybe I could just push through. It wasn't until this year, I think I had a huge realization at my 20 year reunion when Even then, I was like, I could just have a drink. You know, I've gone Mm -hmm. long enough. I never expected to be sober. I still don't like the word sober. I often ask myself, why do I have to be the sober one when you're the one that's in? Why can't you just be the drunk one? You know, (laughs) like I'm just (laughs) not intoxicated. Why do I Mm -hmm. need a label for not doing something? Yeah. And so I even thought I could have a drink and something about that permission made me feel better. And then I got there and I was having so much fun dancing my butt off, watching everybody else slowly become slower, watching how the certain people that were clearly drunk were Mm -hmm. actually becoming the outcasts because no one could have a real conversation with them. Or people were like side-eyeing the person they came with. Oh, oh, you brought the drunk girl, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. things like that. I'm like, this is such a different experience. And the amount of people that came up to me that said, can you move back? You're the most fun one here and you're not even drinking. It was a lot, like over 10. Uh And that that was a moment for me that was just like solidified. I'm not going to have any of these thoughts like, oh, I could here and there. I mean, Mm -hmm. I still could, but I I just definitely don't need it. And it's interesting too, because even the people I know that maybe we'll have a drink once a week, my mind is just totally transform to where I'm like, yeah, but 
I feel so good. Why do I want a little bit of poison? Like I think yes. of it so differently now that mm-hmm. it's just not, it's not even a question. I think that's the key is that if we allow ourselves to think about it a little bit differently, and these are some of the exercises that I teach, you know, to my clients and my students and within my book that if we get out of this kind of like brainwashed state that we've gotten ourselves into with alcohol, then we just even start to shift the language. So one of the things that you were saying, Melissa, is I can have a drink. You could, you just choose not to, because you don't want to, you don't want to feel bad, or you don't want to be the, the drunk girl at the party or the, the one who can't, you know, whatever it is. And I think that's one of the most important things. I went on a trip recently with a, um, with a girlfriend and she decided not to drink, but I heard her telling someone, oh, I can't drink right now. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, no, that's not true. You can drink. I want you to, and you certainly don't have to not drink because I'm here because I'm a big girl. I can figure it out. I, I think that it's going to feel a lot better if you choose and you say, I don't want to drink. I'm choosing not to drink. And that was one of the decisions that I made really early on is that I wanted it to be a choice I was making, not a punishment I was giving myself. And once you switch that language, it becomes so different. And, and you, you just, you give yourself the permission to be on a different spectrum to where you're not the sober person. I, I only use sober in some instances, just because it's a word people resonate with, but typically there's like this stigma with the word sobriety. So I typically say I'm alcohol free or I don't drink anymore. And that has a different connotation that allows me a little bit more like semantic flexibility, I guess. Um, but I think that really important having that decision of I'm choosing not to do this thing. And then you realize, oh, by the way, I feel so good and I feel so present. Why would I want to put this stuff in my body? So kind of like you, like I could have a drink, but I know what it's like to feel good. And I know how it felt later on in my drinking years when I was sometimes just having one drink and I could feel the intensity of how much that affected me the next day. Guess what? It feels good to feel good. And now that I know what it truly feels like, I don't want to go back and be a little bit foggy or a little bit, you know, nasally and headachey the next day. I, I like the feeling of being fully present and knowing that if I don't feel good, it's because of something, you know, an allergen in the air, not something that I chose to do to myself. And my face looks different. Yeah, it does. I'm older than when I chose to quit drinking. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you, I was noticing the bags under my eyes. And I was just like, Mm -hmm. Oh, this is aging. I was noticing my complexion thought it was aging. Mm -hmm. Then I stopped drinking. And I the color in my face is completely different. Mm -hmm. The stability of my face. And I mean, like, I don't randomly get breakouts anymore. And I know that can be a total hormone thing. Um, doesn't have to messes with your hormones. Exactly. (laughs) And so it's just nice. Not wondering what something is, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. uh, this is a natural progression. I'm fine with aging. You know, I don't do Botox anymore. I went through that phase, but (laughs) I'm just like, yeah, let's embrace it all. If I'm not putting poison in my body one way, I, I try to keep it out in all the other yeah, ways. But yeah, but there's the wondering. Like I, there was that nagging feeling so often that I refused to look at, where I was just like, "Well, what is this? Is it the alcohol?" Mm-hmm. Or I could tell I looked different when I was hungover. When mm-hmm. I had more than two drinks, it was just a yeah. little bit more puffy. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, there's that. Even the times I've been most tempted, it's like, I don't want to feel that way tomorrow. I remember yeah. hearing at one point, 
that drinking today is borrowing tomorrow's energy. Mm. And I'm like, I can't do that to future Melissa. She's better than present Melissa. Yes. I, it's so many, so many different ways in which we can like shift. And I know that if you're someone who's like on that cusp right now, like you and I were for a long time, that some of these, like, uh, these phrases can sound like platitudes or like, Oh, way to go, Pollyanna, like good, great to have on your rose colored (laughs) glasses. But the thing is I was, I want to share that I was a pessimist. I was a victim. I was a, just a person who the war, I was not the joyful and positive focused person that I am today when I was drinking alcohol. And when I stopped, something shifted to where things that used to bother me no longer, no longer frustrate me or upset me. And things that, things that I used to, you know, think about and worry about no longer like grind my gears. And that's a really powerful place to be. So to be in this place where I, I was very negative, I had one specific outlook and now to feel a different way, like I don't want to unfeel that. And I would never have known what that felt like unless I would have taken the sleep. And so I know that for someone who's still kind of maybe in that like more negative, pessimistic, frustrated place, it can seem like, wow, well, that sounds really great for you, but I don't believe that's possible. I didn't either. And it just kind of naturally happened. And once I saw it, I could not unsee it. And I think that that's, I mean, I I don't know if you have that same kind of experience that it's almost inexplicable, but it just happened. Your life got better. I was on the self-development journey, spirituality journey quite a while before I allowed myself to honestly look at my relationship with alcohol Mm -hmm. or what relationship, what that alcohol did to me. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I was so attached to it. There was always this voice that wanted to knock down the, all of the little cliches. Yeah. What I found is, so I was, like I said, I was on that self-development journey. So I was already used to at least trying to turn my mindset around. Uh Uh-huh. What I found was that my baseline for happiness automatically got higher than when I was drinking. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't need all of those tools to try to convince myself that the snow was fine and that a rainy day is still a happy day and like all Uh the things. And so, yeah, I wasn't sitting there trying to be negative. I was trying to look at the bright side, but I didn't have to try so hard anymore after I stopped drinking. Yes. And that's when all of those little cliches, I was like, oh, the truth is resonating now because Uh I'm resonating at a higher frequency. And it was the spiritual development, though, that I was constantly – you make a point in your book how you vibrate higher. Alcohol Mm -hmm. actually lowers your energetic vibration. Mm -hmm. And so I thought to myself, I'm doing all of these things. I'm meditating every day. I'm, I'm developing a relationship with a higher power. I'm reading all of these spiritual texts, dabbling in all of the religious teachings in the broad spirituality. And how high can I actually go if I'm also just drinking a little bit of poison at five o'clock every night? Uh Yep. But we don't, I mean, I didn't want to hear that. I was doing all the things too. I was, we were probably sitting there reading the same books. And I even remember you know, I am a student of Gabrielle Bernstein. She's someone who I really admire her work. And in her book, Spirit Junkie, she talks about how she had this reckoning where, you know, her inner guide said to get clean and she was 
drinking and doing cocaine and you'll have a life beyond your wildest dreams. And I remember reading that and thinking, oh, that sounds so great. But also I'm not addicted and I definitely don't do cocaine. So I should probably be okay. And I like wrote myself out of it only to like go down this path for a couple more, you know, probably about a year longer where I was still trying to talk myself out of having to quit drinking. But then I heard Wayne Dyer doesn't drink. Brene Brown doesn't drink. And it started to like really add up that a lot of these people I admired had broken up with alcohol. And then I was kind of having that same experience as you. I was doing all of the things and adding all these things into my life and kind of working. But if I'm being honest, they weren't fully taking force. And there's this quote by James Clear that he wrote Atomic Habits, which most people have probably read by now. And he says, nothing is more effective than removing the ineffective. And that kind of clicked for me. It wasn't about how many things you can add to your life. It was about what if you have this one thing that you're clinging on to, and if you remove that, the most ineffective thing, all of a sudden, everything else would sink in even more deeply. And that's kind of what you're talking about and what I experienced, that all of a sudden, all these practices just hit. And they made sense before, but now they were happening. And so everything just had a bigger magnitude. And that's because I had allowed myself to vibrate at the level um, energetically at which all of the good things started to happen. I wasn't trying to force them to happen. They were just happening because now I was a match for them. I was getting out of my own way and letting myself vibrate at that higher frequency by removing alcohol. And, and by the way, not to say that alcohol is bad or wrong or evil, just the fact of the matter is it's a low vibrational substance. So it's going to lower you down. It's depressant. It's going to take you down a couple notches when you interact with it. Yeah. I, I wrote that quote down from your book because yeah. I loved it. And by the way, James Clear was on Mind Love episode 109. If you want to go back to that Ooh, and listen. Hey, James Clear. <laughs> but that was what was happening to me as well, where I was, I was living in LA at the time, or mm -hmm. not when I gave up drinking, but before that. And I was doing all of the things, like going to so many different events. And, and I just wanted to have one of those transformative experiences. And I I had them before, like transcendent experiences, yeah. but it was always on like a plant medicine. Uh -huh. And I'm like, this, this has to be possible without this. Mm -hmm. And I didn't experience it without some sort of help medicine mm -hmm. until I stopped drinking. Mm -hmm. And I've had multiple of those, uh, usually in meditation, but even mm -hmm. uh, twice on just random walks where I just had mm -hmm. this totally spiritual experience. And I'm not sure if that could have happened for me, at least, mm -hmm. if I was still on alcohol. Because like I said, I felt a very extreme shift to my baseline when I really yeah. settled into the feeling of this is me without alcohol. That's not mm -hmm. in my system anymore. And yep. so what I have found, I'm as we talked about where there's like that abstaining thing, I've gone down a vegan path and now I'm on uh -huh. a... I actually completely swapped my diet to the animal-based <laughs> path. <only>. Yes. <laughs> well, just learning different things at what was working for me. I've had a lot of experiences where I didn't understand my baseline until I was actually willing to give something up. Mm -hmm. That happened when I got off Adderall. It yeah. happened when I switched from being vegan. I'm sorry to all the vegans out there. I get that some people It works for some thrive. people. It doesn't work for everyone. It did not work for me. I thought it did for a while because in the very beginning, it sort of cleared certain things up. I think it 
was one of the things that healed my relationship with food because mm-hmm. I really started to understand health. Yeah. But I was, again, unwilling to look at certain things like joint pain. I didn't realize I was experiencing so much fatigue until I switched my diet and found my new baseline. That same thing happened when I gave up alcohol. And I was like, oh, this is what I feel like without this constant mm-hmm. effect in my body. And so one of the things that you talk about where you you mention all of these really poignant things about alcohol, how it steals time and energy, it clouds clarity, fuels self-doubt, reduces motivation, alters brain and body, lowers energetic vibration, stunts emotional growth, and erodes authenticity. And that mm. last one, though, I don't think people understand their baseline until they mm-hmm. have it clear. And so what mm-hmm. are some of the signs that you've noticed that people can realize before giving up alcohol that might be a sign that they're out of authentic alignment. Mm -hmm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I need to get something off my chest. Sometimes I wake up feeling like I hate everything. Like this dark cloud is over my day and I look to the past and the future and everything feels tainted like this is how it's always been. Those types of days used to last months and now they're pretty few and far between and they rarely last more than a few hours, but it can still make me feel like a fraud. I'm sharing this because I know that we all carry around these things that make us feel different or less than, but if we keep them bottled up, the shame spirals and creates more problems than that initial thought. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's difficult finding friends or family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. Therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know. It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of you. BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online, so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What are some of the signs that you've noticed that people can realize before giving up alcohol that might be a sign that they're out of authentic alignment? Mm-hmm. You know, I think the first thing is, then um, I share some of these in the book that you just have this sense that something is off and you maybe are starting to ask yourself, is this all there is? And you're wondering, you know, you're just wondering if you're in the right place in life existentially, you feel like something's off. And it is this sense that you're performing. It is this sense that you are people pleasing or this realization that you are people pleasing. And you might not realize it until you have it called out to you and you have someone actually say, or you, you realize that, you know, Hey, could you be people pleasing? Let's ask ourselves a question. Am I making decisions about what I want and what I decide to do based on what I think will make me feel good, right, loved, popular, whatever. 
And when you start to look at what it is that you truly value and what you really want in life, I think a lot of us women, especially, and it's interesting that this is not something I mentioned in my book, but it's interesting that you mentioned your relationship with Adderall as well, because a lot of women who I work with and who are drawn to my work are on that neurodivergent scale. And so what we felt like our entire lives is that we don't fit in, especially women, right? Because they're not diagnosed with usually ADHD until later in life. Um, But I had this sense always that I felt different than everyone else around me. And so I found ways to conform, put on masks to elevate the parts of my personality that were most socially acceptable and quiet down the parts that weren't so much. And I all of a sudden felt exhausted. I felt like I was always managing who I was allowed to be in front of people. And alcohol was helping me do that. It was helping me keep up the charade. And and we can keep ourselves stuck in that process. Like we don't know who we are. So we drink to become this other version of us. And then we don't have the mental wherewithal to explore who we are. So then we just keep in this cycle. And if you just pull back for a little bit and ask who who could I be? That's kind of returning to the first part of our conversation. Who could I be if I were the most authentic version of me? And I know that that's kind of a buzzword, but if I were really showing up as what feels most natural, not who I think I'm supposed to be to fit in with this group or to be the, to play the role of this career that I've taken on or play the role of one of the titles that I have, such as mother, wife, girlfriend, sister, whatever, who could I be? And I think that that your baseline to understand that and your willpower to find it um, becomes so much more evident when you take yourself out of drinking culture, because drinking is one of the most basic things that we can do, right? So many people do it. It's very herd mentality activity. And once you stop doing that one activity, it opens up this space to get turned on to all of the other activities you've been doing that don't align with what you really want, what your soul wants to do. And I think that's really cool. So I wonder how like you experienced that when you took a step back. I found that I used to really dislike when people said, you know, step into the authentic version of you. Mm-hmm. You mentioned mm-hmm. how it's a buzzword. And I was like, yep. just just stop. Like, why is everyone using this? Uh-huh. Until I actually stepped into that version of me. And yes. then I was like, again, oh. So now I almost have this rule if a cliche sounds too cheesy, then I probably need work there. <laughs> Ooh, I love that. Yes, such a theme. Yes. And with Adderall, Adderall was one of those big shifts where it it set this experience in my life that I couldn't forget about. When I got off Adderall finally, and it was this whole thing because I was on a lot of Adderall for 10 mm-hmm. years. I was mm-hmm. on 40 to 50 milligrams a day. And sometimes I would take an extra one if I was going out that Just night. Just in case. Yep. Yeah. And so... I definitely was addicted to Adderall and it was tied into a lot of different things for me. I didn't know who I was without it. It's just Mm -hmm. addictive in general. It's Mm -hmm. hard to get. So you actually have to go into the doctor every three months. You have to go pick up a prescription every month. Mm -hmm. There's always an Adderall shortage. They won't Mm -hmm. tell you over the phone if they have Adderall when you're picking it up. So you have to actually go to multiple pharmacies. I would call and they'd say, we can't tell you that over the phone. Then I'd go and they'd say, it's not in stock. I'm like, why can't you at least tell me it's not in huh. stock over the phone? Yeah. So I'd be going all around LA, sometimes in traffic, trying to pick up my Adderall prescription. Long story short, I finally got off of it. And it was difficult because I had little to no energy for months. And I was was just like, is this how it is? Is this the weaning off process? And I will say, 
I've never had quite as much energy as when I was on Adderall. And so mm-hmm. it sort of distorts this baseline and you ruin yourself a little bit forever. <laughs> <laughs> but what I found is that I remember this moment of I was just being really silly and I've always kind of been silly, but there was some different characteristic to this silliness. Like I was more relaxed into it instead Mm -hmm. of performing. It was Mm -hmm. me feeling silly rather than just being silly for other people. And I have chills just talking about it right now Mm -hmm. because I just heard this voice that like, like I had Adderall had stolen this big part of who I was for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, this amount of tiredness that I was feeling, the less energy, I could relax into it. And instead Mm -hmm. of feeling like it was this weight on my body, it almost felt like this euphoria that I could just sit with. And I became really excited to rediscover the parts of myself that I had lost with Adderall. That experience stuck with me and I held on to that when I was choosing to give up alcohol. Mm. And still to this day, I'm rediscovering who I am at th- these different events where maybe the default would be to g- grab wine, whereas now it's like, well, what do I do instead? And that reunion was still another eye-opener because I remember just looking around and I was like, how great it is that I don't have to be on the sidelines worrying about spilling red wine on my outfit or like always having to go back and stand in line to this thing. I just felt free without it. It didn't feel like I was missing out on anything. I actually really felt like I was gaining something without Mm -hmm. having that thing holding me back. Yeah. You, I mean, the first thing that you gain is just presence, right? You're more observant. You're able to be present and have conversations and just take in the things around you. But the other thing that you gain is this confidence of, Hey, guess what? Even there are times where I, the awkward teenager in me comes out and it feels very vulnerable and embarrassing because I tried so long to bury her away. And the the reality is she's in there. And there are some times when she comes out and it feels kind of weird and kind of vulnerable. And the, at the end of the day though, I get to an end of an event or something like that. And I'm like, I did it. I made it through. And even if there's parts of it that I'm like replaying in my little anxious mind, I'm like, I still freaking did it. I did it. And I did it on my own. And I'm really proud of that. And I think that the pride that you experience when you go through life experiences that you before told yourself that you could not possibly survive or manage or, you know, potentially even thrive in without alcohol, that feels, that is a self-confidence boost. Like I am proud of every moment where I've made it through quote unquote, made it through. And most of the times it's beyond made it through. I really enjoyed myself and walked away with some little miracle like to take with me. And that feels really good. And it far outweighs the feeling of checking out to avoid discomfort. And I I really honor the part of me that did that for so long, but now I'm in a different stage where I just want to conquer these things. And it's still scary. Sure. I still get nervous sometimes and I still feel awkward, but it's a lot better than the alternative. You make a point in your book where you say that every choice you make is an energetic investment. Mm. And that reminds me of something that I've allowed to guide my life a lot Mm -hmm. and recently over the last 10 years, but you know, I find new ways to step into it all the time, but it's every decision you make is bringing you closer or further away from who you really are. It used to be from your goal. Now I'm realizing 
the goals are just a byproduct. Everything yeah. is about kind of discovering who I actually am, who I'm meant to be, the value that I'm meant to bring in this world. And I realized when I was younger, a lot of that kind of awkward teenager stuff, I've always been a big personality. I have my own fears socially. I was bullied at different times, but somehow I have no qualms being the first to raise my hand to get on stage in front of a thousand people, do a weird dance that they tell me to do. I just don't get embarrassed by those things. Uh-huh. And so my drinking self was used to stepping into that anymore, even more. But again, mm -hmm. there was so much about it that was performative mm -hmm. versus just feeling into what does it feel like to dance this hard, to do it just for me, to sing this loud, like to just have fun. And I still, depending on the situation, sometimes I walk into a party of people and I feel super outgoing and I I am still accidentally <laughs> the the center of attention <laughs> just because it's part of who I am. But then there's other times where I walk in and I don't feel that way at all. And mm -hmm. those were the times that I used to think, okay, I need liquid courage. But instead, I'm understanding that we're all so multifaceted. I don't need to just be that person. Mm -hmm. And not having this thing that I'm leaning on to make myself this way that I believe myself to be or I should be or that other people expect me to be, I focus a lot more on just the energy that I'm bringing. And mm -hmm. so I'm so much more comfortable just going and, and being in a quiet mood and mm -hmm. not worrying that people think something's wrong with me. And instead, I just focus on the energy that I'm bringing to that space. Yeah. There was this, one of the interviews I've done was uh, this guy, Richard Lang, who talks about the headless way. And it's this philosophy of, it's kind of a practice of kind of disassociating with ego. And instead mm. of just being used to being in this body, understanding that we are everything. And so the headless way is all about like pretending like you don't have a head. If nobody told you that you had a head, you didn't have a mirror, like what would your experience be then? We look down at this body and we identify with it, but what if we didn't? What if we identified with everything in our experience? And so I mm -hmm. practice that when I'm at parties in my less outgoing moods. Mm -hmm. And instead I'm like, it's not like I have less energy. I have just as mm -hmm. much energy. I am this experience. And kind of just meshing into that makes me feel comfortable to like you know, send joy over to the person over there. Really appreciate the person who is stepping into that center of attention thing. And like, instead of trying to figure out who I am in the room, just owning the room, if that yes. makes sense. I know yeah. it's a little esoteric. but No, I think it's beautiful. And I, you know, I will say that seven years ago, Amanda probably wouldn't understand quite, <laughs> wouldn't quite get it. And I just want to hold a little space for her who would have been like, what are you, what are you talking about? But today, Amanda, I'm like, Yes, I've had that experience and it's so cool to be able to just be and not, you know, I think that the, that version of me who would try to go hard and be big and be outgoing was the version of me who thought being quiet or, um, you know, who, who felt like I had to entertain people because that would make everyone else more comfortable or who felt like I had to start a conversation or keep a conversation going because that was what I had to do. Like now I'm okay. If there's a little silence, I'm okay with standing and waiting and not talking to someone. And before the, I think the empath in me was so worried about not only how am I perceived, but is everyone else around me comfortable? And what can I do to make them comfortable that I would 
I would take actions that weren't necessarily what I wanted, but what I felt would make everyone else feel the best too. And now I'm okay with just sitting and being like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to observe for a while. I'm just going to be present or I'm going to do what feels right. And I think that that's a really cool place to be because your, your expression of self, your authentic self, your potential isn't just about, you know, your career or an achievement you make. It's about how full you feel into yourself and how comfortable you are being yourself. And I think what you're sharing is an example of sometimes yourself is quiet. That doesn't mean you're low energy. It doesn't mean you don't, you're antisocial. Sometimes yourself just feels like that and that's okay. And that's great because you have a multifaceted personality and you can be that version. And that's absolutely wonderful. I remember learning there's a whole group of people that believe that people like monks that go out in caves, some people are like, well, what, what value are they really adding? They're out in a cave by themselves, like whoop-de-doo, you know, but, (laughs) but there's a lot of people who believe that the energy that those people that choose Mm -hmm. to just devote their lives to spirit, to Mm -hmm. increase their vibration, to become fully realized. There are many people that believe that those people are actually sustaining the energy of the planet. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. raising the vibration of the entire planet just by choosing to walk that path. And that sat with me because I always used to look at my value being something about what I was doing with other people, bringing to them versus just understanding that I cultivate that value. First of all, value you are valuable regardless of what you choose to do with alcohol. But just my being, however I choose to be in this world, is the value. And so if I choose to cultivate and continue to raise that vibration, to become a better version of myself, to understand how to regulate my emotions, and I have, it's more than just the effect that I have on myself to my children, to my friends, which it does. Like you said earlier in this is, being the permission slip for other people. So much of what you do is is giving people permission in a good or a bad way. And yeah. so that and and just even those moments of being in the center of the party and being quiet, even if I don't speak to anybody, but cultivating that energy, mm-hmm. you never know the impact that that's having on people. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned earlier, it, yes, that, that high school reunion was an eye-opener because I was one of the lives of the party at that moment. But I've had people make comments even when I'm being quiet. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, it might even just be the confidence. It could be the energy. It doesn't really matter what it is. I know that the choices that I'm making day by day are having an effect on more than myself. And so as long as I know my intention, I am confident in who I'm being, I'm giving people permission to step into whatever that looks like for them as well. Oh, yes. And I really love that comparison to, you know, they've they've measured frequency when people meditate on mass, that the frequency around the energetic vibration around them um, increases. And there was even studies that like gang violence goes down in areas where people are frequently meditating. And I I don't even know where to cite them, but I've read about them and it's really miraculous. But if you just think if I myself choose to vibrate at a higher frequency all of the time and I say nothing, do nothing, I just stand there, that that is omitting off of me in some way, kind of like this like care bear <laughs> energy coming off of you, right? And I, I've experienced that too, where people will say, wow, you just like, I feel really calm around you and I don't know why or, or whatever it is that they confess. And even just having that positive trickle down effect on someone to like 
help them feel more positive or more calm is really powerful and cool. And I know that changing my relationship with alcohol and by removing it has been something that's helped me vibrate at that higher frequency and affect other people in ways that I might never know because some of them are so silent. In the beginning of your book, you talk about how it's can be problematic for people like we both experienced where it's like, well, Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem anymore. So it almost makes it more difficult to make that decision. Mm -hmm. And I love the way you framed it where you don't need to have a problem. Mm -hmm. You had the sentence where you said, you don't have a problem, you have an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that just changes it so much. It changes the energy of the question because instead of feeling limiting, like I might have a problem, I can't do this whole aspect of life. Mm-hmm. It's there's another way to live. And there's other questions that you can ask yourself. You posed in your book, has alcohol become problematic in my life? Is alcohol robbing me of valuable time? Is alcohol depleting my physical and mental energy? Would life be better without alcohol? That was my main question. Would like what would my life be? I was just curious, you know? Yeah. And so that's kind of what opened up the challenge. And so for listeners out there that might be just considering this, just sit with those a little bit. Yeah. And then I'd love I'd love to leave people with something to ground in what they learned today. And so for the people that are interested in potentially exploring this other side of life, how can you help them reimagine their life without alcohol in a way that maybe they haven't been able to see yet because of the really persistent conditioning we tend to get around. Uh-huh, it. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, I, I would have you say that if you are someone who this message is resonating with, or you're listening to it kind of like, well, maybe someday, and you're doing what both Melissa and I did and kind of try and talk yourself out of it. The asking that question, what could the opportunity be with alcohol out of the picture? And of course, there's going to be the little devil on your shoulder that's like, well, you're, of course, you're going to be a loser and you won't have any friends. Like that part of you is going to be really loud. But if there's another smaller, silent part that's curious and wondering, you owe it to that part. That part does not whisper to you at random and it might be small and it might be little and it might be very quiet, but that part of you does not whisper at random and you will have, you would be doing yourself such a service if you just listen to that part and give it a little bit of attention. And for me, that looks like, you know, take a, take some incremental breaks, not just a couple days, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. I promise you can do it. I promise that no matter what you have on your calendar, that you will survive it, if not thrive through it without alcohol, but you will never know unless you try. And I don't want you to go through your life never knowing because what I know now is so miraculous and so wonderful that I, you know, I've made it my mission. Do you think that I, you know, wanted to choose this career? No, it chose me because I felt like I had this moral um, calling to share what I had realized and share what I had found out and share what I experienced because I know that the world would be a better place if other people are encouraged to explore this possibility. So if it's on your mind, if you're even just, just a little tickle of a nudge, follow it. Definitely. And when I gave up alcohol, I'm a more, more, more girl too. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) anything, it's like more of. And so I had a difficult time just saying no to something. So Mm -hmm. I allowed myself to splurge on all of the fancy mocktails Mm -hmm. to 
just go for it with any drink at any coffee shop. So I was upgrading to the CBD version of the matcha uh-huh. latte plus this, like anything, because first of all, it was still less than the alcohol. Yep. Although I will say some of those mocktails got <laughs> kind of rivaled yeah. the, the, the price, but what ended up happening was I spent tons of money the first month or two on all of the fancy, which there are a lot of really fun, fancy mocktail, alcohol-free mm-hmm. things out. Spent so much money on those, but guess what? They're not actually addictive. And so once <laughs> once the alcohol was out of my system, I just naturally decreased those and mm-hmm. spent less and less. Now I have no desire for alcohol-free wine at all. <laughs> like, yeah. It's yeah. like warm grape juice. <laughs> yeah, I have it like at a wedding maybe. Like I will have it like for a champagne toast. But same, like the other cool thing about mocktails is, yeah, they're about the same price because they have like adaptogens and all these great other benefits in it. So they're putting quality product in it. But physically, you don't start to get numb. So while I might've had like, too many vodka, whatever's you can only drink so many. I mean, for me, I can't drink a lot of sweet drinks or a lot of things that have like so much flavor. Um, and so I can have one mocktail. I'm like, okay, that's about all I can handle. And then I'm done. And that's great. I got to have something fancy or I'll have a dessert, a piece of chocolate cake. I definitely went down the indulgence train like you did. And I still, and I felt all the better for it. So even if you weren't saving like a ton of money, I think that you know, just the mental bandwidth that you save is worth it. Definitely. And my other tip for listeners out there is brainwash yourself. I literally only allowed myself to read quit lit books. Mm-hmm. I read all of them. Yeah. I read, I, I was listening to podcasts, just anything, listening to people talking about the other side of alcohol because mm-hmm. Without trying, you will get all the propaganda for it. And so yes. uh, just yep. consider that like any big change that I'm making, I, I call it brainwashing myself. I will yeah. inundate myself with all of the information towards why mm-hmm. what I'm doing is the best decision for me. So, so if, it, if it feels difficult, it's because you're getting too much outside influence. Just <laughs> put yourself in a cave, list, read Amanda's book, listen to podcasts, whatever it is. It's really helpful. So for listeners mm-hmm. that are interested in finding your book and learning more about working with you, where's the best place for them to connect? Yeah, I'm all over the internet at Amanda Kuda. My last name is K-U-D-A, Instagram, TikTok, sometimes, uh, my website. And yeah, if you this resonated, I would, I feel like I really wrote a you know, you know, from reading a lot of Quitlet, a very unique approach to an alcohol-free lifestyle. And I would love for you to check it out if it resonates with you. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 316. What if your challenge for this week was to just go the week without alcohol? I will tell you something though. Seven days only is kind of cutting yourself short. It's all the struggle and not as many of the benefits. Yes, it always feels better to wake up without alcohol in your system, but did you know that if you go without drinking today, but you drank yesterday, you'll still have alcohol in your system? You kind of need a longer period of time to really flush it all out, to feel the effects of that detox. Not only that, If you have any amount of addiction to it, which it is an addictive substance, so really be honest with yourself. It seems so crazy how often people are like, oh no, I'm not addicted to it at all. 
but they do think of it first when they're a little bit stressed or when they have a specific ritual, like cooking dinner or going to a specific place. Hell, I used to take wine hiking with me sometimes. <laughs> I mean, in my late 20s, it seemed like a way to add a little flair to it. But now I understand that that sunset hike is the flair. I love how Amanda asked the question, if it's not fun without alcohol, is it really fun? But I want to take that almost a level deeper because what I started to do was I was adding it as this fun layer to so many things. The things that were supposed to be fun on their own stopped being fun on their own. I was looking for that drink, even when I was moderating. It took me a year of being alcohol-free to actually be honest with myself about all of the downsides I was experiencing from alcohol. And I will tell you that after that 30-day mark, it starts to get easier. By the 90-day mark, it's a lot easier. For me, then I was only tempted by certain occasions, like, okay, I'm at a wedding, am I really gonna not drink? Or Christmas season, I have to go without mulled wine? <laughs> and now I look at it and I'm just like, nope, not a question. So give yourself that space and see what it's really like. It's so easy to just be an adult and have alcohol consistently in our systems, whether it's once a night, once a week, a couple times a month. For the average drinker, that seems like you're not drinking very much. But now for me, as a non-drinker, it seems like a lot. Once a week of having a drink is putting a small amount of poison in your system over 50 times a year. That's a lot, however we want to slice it. So let me know how it goes, or better yet, reach out to me as an accountability buddy. I don't mind, I actually love it. I have all sorts of pro tips for getting through those first 90 days. So you can find me at mindlovemelissa on Instagram. If you want something else to put your mind to, consider joining the Mind Love membership. There's nothing better than a good replacement for some bad habits. And every month we'll walk you through another area of your life to bring intention to. You can find out more at mindlove.com membership. Plus you get a hundred exclusive Mind Love episodes just for members and a bunch of meditations too. So again, that's mindlove.com membership. All of my amazing sponsors are at mindlove.com sponsors with some pretty cool discount codes. And if you know of someone who needs this episode, consider sharing it with them either directly or take a screenshot and tag mind love melissa bonus points if you're going on your own alcohol-free challenge i want to see you i want to celebrate you i want to reshare your commitment so again instagram mind love melissa and that's all for today so thanks for giving your mind a little love today and i'll see you next week Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.